Welcome to Lexia Talks, an education podcast that empowers educators with actionable thought leadership content. Each week, we deliver the latest education news, insights, teaching tips, policy analysis, and more. Today, we are speaking with Lexia's Chief Learning Officer, Dr. Liz Brooke, on the critical importance of motivation and engagement in today's K-12 education landscape. Well, thanks for having me. I'm Liz Burke. I'm the Chief Learning Officer of Lexia and Rosetta Stone. I've been with Lexia for about 10 years now. And prior to that, I was at the Florida Center for Reading Research as their Director of Intervention and started my career in education as a first grade teacher. Tell me about uh, making that transition from what you were doing to what you're doing now. Like, what are, what are some of the similarities and what are, um, what are some of the things you've had to learn uh, on this job? Yeah, it's been a great journey in the sense of um, starting my career in the classroom and then really moving to the, the research world at, at Florida Center and now at Lexia building products where I feel like both myself and, and what Lexia does really well is take that research, that academic, you know, those findings and connects it to the real world of the classroom for our educators and our students. So making sure that we are building on research and what we know works, but then also weaving in the practicality of, (laughs) you know, students and educators and, and just the real world. And how has that changed in the real world for educators, for students, for administrators during COVID, the, you know, when people are urged to stay at home. What, what have mm-hmm. you guys learned about that? What I've known for a long time, but a lot of people have learned that um, teachers are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> We've all had to be flexible. And really in the spring, it happened overnight, really. The light switches went out at schools and didn't really come back on. You know, the idea of what is quote unquote normal or what is a typical classroom was upended this spring. And so But what I've been trying to help teachers in in schools think about is not throwing out all of that research that we know what works, but just thinking about how do we do it differently and what are the components that need to change and what are the components that should stay the same. What are some of the things that have been frustrations or maybe obstacles and what are some of the opportunities that you see? Yeah, I think some of the frustrations, you know, we've seen in various news articles, I think the biggest frustration and spotlight is around equity and and the digital divide and, and access to internet and devices. And that's a real challenge that, you know, schools and really the country businesses, we all have to work together to address that. And so that's been a bit of a frustration. I think another piece is the social emotional piece in terms of feeling that lack of connection from the teachers to the students or the students to their friends. So those have been some of the frustrations and challenges. But I think the opportunities, it's really been a catalyst for personalizing instruction. When you're in the typical school setting, the teacher is teaching most often to the whole class he or she does small group lessons where they they try to personalize and individualize, but a good chunk of the time is teaching to the middle, so to speak, of trying to teach at a level that is appropriate for that grade level. But in the remote world, you really have to think about, A, 
They're not having as many whole group sessions over Zoom or Google Hangout. And so they're thinking much more specifically about the individual needs of the students. And so that's really exciting to me. And I hope that doesn't go away when we, quote unquote, get back to to normal. What I really want to talk to you about is keeping students motivated. And that may be the wrong way to say it, actually, because sometimes motivation is intrinsic. And so you don't need to keep them motivated. You just need to sort of, I guess, monitor that and harness it. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about the difference between those two things and, and maybe how, you know, learning from home and sort of these new limitations have impacted both sides of, of that? So I think, and it's a great point about there's different types of, of motivation. I think what most people think about when they think about motivation is the extrinsic motivation where you're doing something for a separable outcome in terms of a sticker or reward or a grade versus that intrinsic motivation where you're doing it because it's something you're interested in or it's enjoyable. And so we really try to focus on the intrinsic motivation and we help teachers and students really own their own motivation. And so we follow um, self-determination theory, which is by two researchers, Ryan and DC, where you try to focus on three elements of, of motivation, if you will, or three elements that help drive that intrinsic motivation. And so one of them is autonomy, where students have a feeling of choice they're being involved in what's happening to them. And so in this remote world, when you think about parents at home who have, who have found themselves in the teacher role and found themselves challenged with maybe keeping their students motivated, and, and one thing that they can do is to help get their students involved in feeling like they might have a choice, even if it's a forced choice. The other thing is of self-determination theory is this feeling of competency and, and how are the students building their competency. So that can be intrinsically motivating. Instead of getting a sticker, you're actually learning skills that will be helpful to you in building your, your competency. So let's let's dig into that a little bit more. You know, you, you mentioned parents sometimes taking over the role of teacher. Mm-hmm. What can they do to keep students engaged and motivated and sort of on that path to where they want them to to get to in terms of learning uh, (laughs) the stuff they need to learn? Sure. So I think a couple of things. One, you know, students and really adults, this disruption in their schedule has been challenging. So the one thing we could do is try to recreate some of that structure. And we're not going to have the same exact six-hour schedule But again, if you can involve the students so they feel they have some sort of autonomy or or choice and really help them understand why you're doing this, right? So we're we're setting our schedule. We want to um, get them involved in helping create their space in your home. I know not a lot of people have extra offices where the students can have a very quiet and uninterrupted space. But if you help them make a poster to put above their table or their desk and try to create some structure that will help them keep motivated and engaged and really help them understand the why behind things and helping them feel like they have a choice, even if it's a forced choice. 
So I heard you give some techniques and some some ideas there for how how people can keep these students motivated. But one of the big ones is reinforcement or feedback. Can you talk about the difference between when students get immediate feedback and when maybe they that's delayed a little bit? So again, that idea of um, immediate corrective feedback, it's helping them learn the skill or build their competency versus at the end of an activity or, as you said, like a delayed reward. Uh, that's more that extrinsic feature. And both are important. And so if you can build in that ongoing corrective feedback and just sprinkle in some of those extrinsic to just very quickly give them some externally rewards or motivations, but then bring them back to them wanting to be focused on the challenge or maybe it's the novelty of the activity. But again, building in that choice and the competency to help drive that motivation versus a little bit less on the extrinsic motivation. So stickers and rewards are great, but you want to be driving towards wanting them to learn and and feel like they're self-governing. So Liz, let's talk about some of the other um, sort of facets that that all drive toward, <laughs> you know, keeping students motivated. And one of these one of these areas is learning gaps and and helping to identify where students need some help and targeting those. How can teachers address those from remote locations and be as sort of intimately involved in these students' lives as they were before? Yeah, I think that is probably one of the biggest challenges. You know, we used to, as teachers, we used to talk about what are the kids doing when they're not with me, right? So if I'm in my classroom and I'm sitting at a, you know, a table with a small group of students, what are the rest of the students doing in the classroom at the time, right? As a teacher, you you always need to, quote unquote, have eyes on the students. And so in the remote world, most of the kids are not with you. So how do you keep those, quote unquote, eyes on the students? And so this is where I do think technology can be a real plus, being able to provide the teachers with some really rich data on where the students may be um, struggling or where they may be excelling in different skills. So I do think leveraging technology programs that have embedded assessment really can help the teachers understand where to target that precious time when they do have those students in a one-to-one Zoom or a small group Zoom they can really focus and help close the gaps because you've heard a lot about the COVID slide or the learning gaps that are happening. And the the real powerful way to close those gaps is to first, A, know where they are, and then B, have the student have access to material that is targeted at that appropriate level. I mean, teachers can still do their, you know, checklists or inventories via Zoom as well to try to get at some of that. But you really do need to find a way, whether through technology or another method where you can assess these students, even in the remote world, because that's what you're going to need to help close these gaps. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned technology. What are some things that teachers should be looking for or administrators as well in these tools? Because obviously not every child has access to a computer. Not every child has access to as much tech as, as we might might like during these times. Um, mm-hmm. And then what are some tools that you would recommend for the flipped classroom that can help teachers uh, with distance learning? 
Yeah, so I think a few things. You want to look for programs that are more blended in the sense that they're not just all digital. Going back to that social-emotional connection, you want to have elements that the teacher can deliver, whether it's in-person or via Zoom or Google Hangout, and or offline materials that the students who don't have access can use. I think the other piece that administrators and teachers need to look for is efficacy data and efficacy research on these programs. Right now, there's a lot of programs out there, but you want to see have they actually been studied and proven effective in the classrooms. And so, of course, Lexia, we believe in research and we have over 20 peer-reviewed publications. We have really strong results to show the difference between students using our programs and those that aren't. And we have those components that I mentioned. Those um, publications you mentioned sound really useful. Could you call out a couple of those so that people know where to go to access those resources? Sure. So I think a place that I've heard it called the Consumer Report uh, for (laughs) Education Tools is a website called Evidence for ESSA. Um, It's out of John Hopkins University. And so you just go to evidenceforessa.org, I believe. And ESSA is Every Student Succeeds Act. So it's a a federal law. You know, if you're thinking about buying a, a certain program, you can type it in and it will show you A, if it has any research that met the review criteria, and then it rates them on the the strength of the research study. But I would also really point out to people, there's something called an effect size, and that shows how different the results were for those who used the program and those who did not use the program. So evidence for ESSA, and there's the National Center for intensive instruction and CII is another place people can go. That's a little bit more technical. I think probably the easiest one is is evidence for ESSA. Let's move to some of the challenges teachers are facing and the students are facing. English learners who live at home where maybe the family doesn't speak English at home. How can teachers support those students? Yeah, so this is a, a great example of kind of a population that has been left behind a bit in this pandemic. So there's a couple things. One, making sure that the teachers have access to sending home parent letters in multiple languages, because oftentimes, you know, the parents aren't fluent in English either. Being able to have either, again, directions in the student's first language if they're trying to support reading skills or have programs that are adaptive or personalized if they're trying to actually teach them English. Another big factor for English learners is that, again, the programs have been designed to address the needs and shown effective with that particular population, right? So When you're looking at these research results, you want to make sure that the program is either designed specifically for those students or that it has been shown to be effective with those students. Fantastic. You mentioned earlier blending online and offline instruction, and Mm -hmm. I can imagine some people are sitting there wondering, like, well, what does that look like in practice? Can you give an example or two about how, what that might look like? Sure. So in a traditional classroom 
you can think of the blending as when the students are working independently on the computer and that computer is adapting. If, you know, I get an answer wrong, it's going to give me more support or give me a couple of extra pieces of instruction, or if I get it right, I'm going to move on. So that online component is is student-driven, and it's personalized to that student. If I'm in a classroom, the teacher might be sitting, again, at the small table in the back of the room with four or five students delivering a lesson on short vowels. In the remote world or the hybrid world, you can think of that student is not doing their online work in the back of the classroom, they're doing it in their home. But again, in the example of Lexia, every click of the mouse or tap of the iPad is being captured to help the teacher understand where the student's gaps are. And then the teacher can deliver those lessons instead of at a small table via Zoom or Google Hangouts. And we, in fact, as a reaction to this environment, have turned many of our lessons and our offline materials into Google Slides so they can be used more seamlessly in this remote environment. So that's the beauty of a blended approach is that it can seamlessly transition from, you know, people say classroom to the cloud or bricks to clicks, but it can look very similar to how it does in the classroom as it does in the remote world. Talk to me about teachers sort of, you know, assessing progress. Yeah, I, I assume that's a lot easier in person, but one-on-one time and just getting down to the nitty gritty with students must be a, a lot harder in video chat. How can teachers do that? Yeah. And again, I think even in person in the, the old kind of typical classroom, getting individual data to the level of detail that is often needed is hard to do when you have a classroom of of 30 students. So again, leveraging technology to assess and get lots of data points on these students so that when the teacher goes to have that small group, he or she has a profile of strengths and weaknesses and can be really targeted and time efficient with that small group Because, again, grouping students who have similar areas of of need can be really powerful and technology can help these teachers. All right. Now let's close it out. What what role does student-driven learning have in remote instruction? How can you emphasize that? Again, this brings us back to that motivation piece and that intrinsic motivation and having the students understand their progress through their skills for that grade level and understand, you know, that progression of skills, that competency. Again, it it goes back to having them feel like they have a choice in what they're doing. Again, it can be a forced choice, but they get to pick where they're focused. They understand the relevancy of those skills, that student-driven learning And that's going to help build that intrinsic motivation during this time when there's lots of things going around them that are, I'm sure, distracting. But if they if they're driving their own learning, they have that much more buy in, if you will, to keep engaged. 